John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. We began several weeks ago by presenting in this series of messages what I called the politically incorrect Jesus. And as we pointed out today by the world's opinion, Jesus is neither, but no, this is the world's opinion, note that that Jesus is neither politically correct nor is he religiously correct. Because the things that our world approves of today and even the religious world approves of today, folks, Jesus wouldn't approve of. It just disturbs me to see so many once true churches leaving the faith and turning to methods and motives and programs and those things to try to get people to come and worship God. May I offer my opinion to you for just a moment? If you're really a child of God and you love the Lord, you're going to want to be here with your brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping Him and hearing a message from His Word. That's just my opinion, okay? But the present world has conformed in their minds the Son of God to the kind of Jesus that they want him to be. Tried to conform Jesus to their liking. But the world's Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. The world's Jesus is not the Son of God. Next we joined Jesus in Pilate's judgment hall. And we were reminded of Peter who so boldly said, Lord, I will not deny you, even if it costs me my life. How many of God's people today have committed their lives and their hearts to the Lord at some point in the past and may not be living that way now? We need to remember what the book of Ecclesiastes, remember we preached through the book of Ecclesiastes not long ago. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Be careful. For God is in heaven and thou upon the earth, therefore let thy words be few. Sometimes we get caught up in the excitement of a sermon, maybe in a revival type of excitement, and we make promises to God that we can't keep, that we know we're not going to keep. Verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 5 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. And we're reminded of Ananias and Sapphira, aren't we? Then last week, we watched Wishy-Washy Pilate. I believe he was convinced, I, I'm sure he was convinced that, because he said so in the scripture, that Jesus was not worthy of death. But what did Pilate do? He gave him into the hands of those who wanted to crucify him. And we found out that we live in a world today that would much rather have Barabbas than to have Jesus. That's our world today. And this world seeks to conform believers to its standard. That's what this world wants me and you and this church to do.
just to adopt the world's standards, the world's ideals, and conform to that. But the Word of God says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, and even tells us how, by the renewing of your mind. Now this morning, we're going to climb up Mount Calvary. And as we stand there on Mount Calvary, we're going to look up and we're going to listen to the man on the middle cross. There's a song by that title, I believe. Jesus hanging there on the cross spoke seven times from the cross. And we're not going to focus on all seven of those sayings, but I'm going to mention them right quickly. Every time he spoke, he had something important to say, either to fulfill prophecy or to instruct us. He prayed, first of all. Remember what he prayed? This is in Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Well, not only did he pray, he promised in Luke 23, verse 43, because what did he say to that one repentant thief hanging there on the cross? This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And you know what? I believe that thief is right there with the Lord Jesus today because Jesus promised him that he would be there. He provided in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, if you want to just look back a little bit to those verses, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Jesus, even in his death, provided for his mother. He said to John, Take care of my mother. He pled, Matthew 27, one of my favorite verses to refer to. I don't know why, because I can't explain it. How God can separate himself from himself and turn his back on himself. But hanging there on the cross, he cried out, and this is again recorded in Matthew 7. It's a fulfillment of Psalm 22, and we'll mention that maybe again in a moment. But he cried out, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? He pronounced something in verse 28. Because what did he say there? He said, I thirst. But why did he say it? It said that the scripture might be fulfilled. And they gave him this vinegar on a sponge. In Luke 23, he professed as he hung there. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then just before, as the scripture says here in John, he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He said, Tetelestai. It is finished. Paid in full. Just like the song that Joni just sang. It is finished. Three simple words. All oh, but they contain and they mean so much to us. It says, I've done everything I need to do. It's fulfilled. The payment price for salvation has been made and everything that is necessary both to save and to seal and to secure for all eternity has been accomplished. We're going to look at these three words in relation, first of all, to his suffering. Jesus said it is finished. It speaks of his suffering. He had completed, as I said, everything that was necessary. You know, he fulfilled the prophecy of his suffering. If we would just turn back for a moment to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And we had a message from that 53rd chapter of Isaiah not too very long ago. 
Isaiah 53 tells us of his suffering. Verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That word despised means disesteemed. It means to disdain, to scorn, to contemn. He was looked down on. He is passed over. Have you ever been passed over? Have you had somebody look down on you? Have you ever in the eyes of other people not been chosen or not been thought good enough because in their eyes and in their mind you didn't measure up? Well, that's exactly what Jesus endured in his life upon this earth. Rejected means he was looked down on. He was left destitute. He was forsaken. It says here in Isaiah 53 that we hid our face from him. It says he was a man of sorrow. Sorrows talks about anguish and affliction. Remember when he looked on the people of Israel and he saw them as sheep scattered having no shepherd? It brought anguish but also compassion to his heart that here were God's people as sheep scattered. It says he was a man of grief. It talks about anxiety. It talks about calamity. It's from a word that means to be weak or to be sick. And Jesus dealt with all of these things in his physical life. Verse 4 here in Isaiah 53 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That word stricken refers to the calamities that God may allow upon someone many times because of the disobedience. Here's the Jewish thought. We thought he brought it on himself, the cross, the crucifixion, all of this pain, all of this agony, all this. We thought he brought it on himself because God was punishing him for his sins. In fact, they thought God despised Jesus as much as they did. Here came Jesus, this in their mind, the son of Joseph, and he came and was proclaiming to be the son of God, and they despised him for that, and they thought they were treating him right in the way that they treated him. We esteemed him smitten. That means to strike deep. They saw him hanging there on the cross, and here was the thought, he's guilty of everything we accused him of. And he deserves to be up there on the cross. And we know that Jesus did not deserve to be on the cross. He went there in our place. Verse 5 says he was wounded. Listen to this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, not his. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, I know I'm standing here looking back, but I don't see how you could read Isaiah 53, especially today. I don't care whether you're a Gentile or a Jew. You could read Isaiah 53 and read what happened to Jesus and not make the connection of, you know what, he is the Messiah. He is the sacrifice for our sin. Verses 7 and 8 here in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. That means he was harassed. He was looked down on. He was browbeaten. He was treated harshly. We know that. He was taken from prison and from judgment for he was cut off out of the land of the living. So it just talks about the beating that he took and in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. It carries the idea of some severe 
inward affliction that God allowed upon his only begotten son. And why did he allow it upon his only begotten son? That you and I might have everlasting life. Now we need to keep in mind that Jesus is the son of God, but Jesus is also God the son. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God in the flesh. We're talking about God taking on human form and coming to this earth and allowing these things to happen to him. You know, the gods of the world, most of the false gods of the world say, you need to suffer for me. If you want life, you need to endure some pain and some suffering. And our God came and suffered these things for us. And even the events surrounding the cross were to fulfill God's promises and God's prophecy. You know, they gambled for his clothing. That's why John 19 says back in verse 24, they said, therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, talking about his clothing, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. You know, that's a fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 18. We mentioned he was given here in John Chapter 19, he was given vinegar to drink. They filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. That fulfills Psalm 69, verse 21. Everything about the cross is the fulfillment of Scripture. It is the payment price for our sin. Even in his death, he fulfilled the Scripture. John chapter 19, verse 36 says, For these things were done that the Scripture might be fulfilled. What did they do when they came to Jesus? You know, toward the end of the day, and normally if a prisoner was still alive, they'd break his leg bones because the shock of that would cause his death. And they came to Jesus, and he'd already given up the ghost. And they stuck his spear in his side, and blood and water flowed out, mingled together. That's what John's referring to here, and it was done that the scripture might be fulfilled. They didn't have to break his legs. He was already dead. And the scripture said... A bone of him shall not be broken. Oh, and the fact that they pierced his side. If you look to verse 37 here in John chapter 19, and again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. A fulfillment of the scripture that was given hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to this earth. Jesus came to fulfill the word of God. You know, he said at one point, he said, I'm not come to destroy the law, I've come to fulfill it. Jesus came to fully fill or to fulfill the word of God and he did not dismiss his spirit from his body until he had done exactly what he came to do. You can trust Jesus. But you know, there was one scripture that even his apostles had missed. No order God tells us about that. There's one scripture that they, they didn't catch. Look at John chapter 20 and verse 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Here their Lord, their master, their leader had been crucified and they were not familiar with the scripture. We think of the crucifixion and the resurrection today. I'm afraid many times we as God's people just say, well, you know, it's the Jesus. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. And that's about the only excitement we get from it. But folks, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? He's not in the tomb. He's 
not in the grave. Psalm 16 verse 10 said this, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or in the grave, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He fulfilled the prophecy of his suffering, but he also fulfilled the pain of his suffering. Isaiah indicated that his death would be a death of great agony. First of all, there's the agony of Gethsemane. We know from Luke 22 that he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and what does he do? He prays. But the agony was so great and so intense upon him. What does it say there in the book of Luke? He said, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now by now we have probably all heard about this condition called hematidrosis in which you can be under such great agony that tiny capillaries in the sweat glands will begin to burst and the blood will mingle with the sweat and you actually sweat drops of blood. That can cause weakness, it can cause shock, it can cause even death, but Jesus didn't die from that. There's a number of ways that Jesus could have died without shedding blood, but the scripture says without shedding blood is no remission. And not only did he need to shed his blood, he needed to shed, and we'll get to this in just a moment, he needed to shed his blood on the tree, on the cross. There was the agony before Pilate and Herod in Luke chapter 23, verses 10 and 11. The chief priest took him. Now these are the people who probably should have been most familiar. Wouldn't you think that a preacher ought to be the most familiar person with Jesus? Well, it ought to be, okay. And these are the people you would expect to recognize him. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Think about, again, this is what he was supposed to go through. Yes, I know he had to endure this, but this is God in the flesh being accused made fun of, bit upon, slapped, mocked by the very human beings that he had created. Here's something we don't think about much. In fact, if you just turn back to the first verse of John chapter 19, if you're not careful, you'll read over it and miss it. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Now, I used to have a scourge and would demonstrate the scourging. I had to quit that because the leather straps got dried out and every time I would whip the scourge, the pieces of rock that were tied in the end would fly off and I don't want to do that to you. But they would take, we call it the cat of nine tails, they would take a small whip that had stone and bone and metal tied in the end of these leather straps and he would be stretched out and they would just beat his back. And this was not the the 39 stripes, this was more. And in fact, it said that with the very first few stripes of the scourge, that the skin and the flesh would open up and you'd begin to see the white of the rib cage. And Jesus endured that for us. And in fact, what Mark says about it is that Pilate was just willing to content the people, just to make the people happy. They called for his crucifixion. Pilate didn't see any reason of death in him, but to make everybody happy, we'll just scourge him. We'll beat him with the whip with the cat of nine tails. 
Then we see him moving to Calvary. Now, we're told that Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. We understand that a part of the death penalty of crucifixion in that day was that the man who was to be crucified carried his cross to the place of crucifixion. And we're told in the Word of God that Jesus started out carrying his cross. At some point, Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry his cross. It has caused many expositors and I guess scholars and people like that to say, well, Jesus fell under the weight of his cross. We know that he was weakened from all of the things that he had endured. It's a possibility. We're not told that in the scripture, but at some point, Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry the cross of the Lord Jesus. John 19, 17 says, And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Mark 15, 21, And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, to bear his cross. You know, I thought of that, and I thought of this song, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone? You know, Jesus said, Take up your cross and follow me. And how often did he say that we're to take up our crosses and follow him? Daily. Take up thy cross daily and follow me. See, some people don't even want to touch the cross. Vance Havner said one time, we sing that song a lot of times, Gladly the Cross I'd Bear. He said most people won't even bear it anyway, much less gladly. Will we bear Will we gladly bear the cross of Jesus for him if we know him as Savior, or will we uh, not bear the cross for him? Then there's the agony of the cross. They bring him to a place that is called Golgotha. It's called Calvary. And the scripture says in Luke 23, 33, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And he was crucified and mocked, hanging there on the cross. I won't go into a long description of what crucifixion is the most horrible means of execution that anybody could come up with. And it was only reserved for the vilest of criminals. And if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. And yet they took the Son of God and crucified him. And crucifixion was so designed that what was supposed to happen, eventually a man would drown in his own body fluids as he tried to get relief from the pain of the nails in the hands and in the feet and as he hung there on the cross and eventually he would asphyxiate or drown in his body fluid. It was intended to be a horrible death. It was intended to be a painful death and yet Jesus endured it for us. And then he fulfilled the passion of his suffering because there was an inward torment We'd see him praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What was in that cup? For years I have believed, and I still believe, and will believe, I believe, till the day I die. But what was in that cup was the very thing I mentioned a moment ago, that separation of God the Son from God the Father as they had never been separated before. And he prayed if there's any other way. But there was no other way. And Jesus became the sin sacrifice for the whole world. For me and for you and for every lost person out there. But he came to be the sin sacrifice. 
First John chapter 2, verse 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says this, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says of God, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us, He who knew no sin. Jesus took upon Himself my sin. He took upon Himself your sin and the sin of everybody in the world. Isaiah 53 says this in verse 6, The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And in verse 8, For the transgression of my people was He stricken. Jesus died for you. And you know what he requests from us? Not to die for him, but what? To live for him. Just to live. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And we've mentioned the agony of being forsaken by the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So it speaks of the suffering of Jesus, but it is finished also speaks of our salvation. He bore our punishment. Somebody said it this way, Christ endured my hell. What is hell? Hell is separation from God. That's what it is for all eternity. Death is just separation. When you die physically, your spirit separates from your body. When you die spiritually, your spirit is separated from God for all eternity. And God promised a man because of sin a double death. We were worthy of the cross. We were worthy of separation from God for eternity. Jesus became accursed for us. That's what it says. In fact, what it reads in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's why he had to go to the cross. That's why he had to shed his blood on the cross because it's as cursed as everyone that hangeth on a tree. He bore our punishment, but he also bore our guilt. There's a difference between bearing punishment and bearing guilt. Let's just suppose that I could substitute myself for someone else's crime. Someone has been arrested. They've been found guilty and their punishment has been pronounced, and then I say, well, I'll go and, and take their punishment. And someone comes to me and says, well, I'm sorry that you were convicted of murder. And I said, I wasn't convicted of murder. I wasn't guilty. I'm just bearing the penalty for the one who was convicted of murder. See, we can't bear guilt for one another. If you're guilty, I'll, you know, I can pray for you, I can plead for you, and maybe bear your punishment for you, but I can't bear your guilt. But somehow, and here's the amazing thing, somehow at Calvary, Jesus not only bore our punishment, Jesus bore our guilt. You know what God sees now? Not a guilty sinner. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteous blood of Jesus Christ, God sees when he looks at me and when he looks at you. 
Jesus bore our guilt, and he provides for our righteousness. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Access, we know this, access to God's grace is through faith, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our rejoicing is in the hope of God's glory. We're going to be with the glory. We're going to share in Christ's glory one of these days, and that is our great hope. What is hope? Glad expectation. We may not look like something God would make right now, but 1 John chapter 3 tells us one of these days we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I don't know what the resurrected body of the Lord looked like, but I know this, it was not limited by time and space, and boy, I'm looking forward to that, you know. But the glory of the risen Christ, why can we speak boldly today? Why can we say today, I'm just as good for heaven as if I was there right now? If the Lord returns this afternoon, I'm going to go and be with him. If he returns in the next few minutes, I'm going to go and be with him. Because we know that we have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ because we have turned to God in repentance and by faith applied that shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Just look with me for a moment to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. And listen to what the Word of God says. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses. How many offenses did Adam commit to be condemned to death? One. How many have we committed? Don't answer that. Under justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace, and that's what we have received, abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Amen. You know, if it hadn't been a law that said thou shalt not, you know. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. He provides for our righteousness. Why can a believer have peace and a religious man not have peace? Do you ever think about that? Their religious people just have absolutely no peace. They're always struggling. They're trying to earn their salvation. They're trying to work. They're trying to be good enough. Why can they not have peace and you and I can have peace? Because their religion is a religion of do. And our relationship, it's not a religion. Our relationship is a relationship of done. Christ has done it all. I know that any righteousness that I have, folks, is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's appropriated by faith. It's acceptable to God. And it was achieved at the cross. And right quickly, it is finished. Talks about our security. Tetelestai. Paid in full. Everything that needs to be done has been done. That was written, Tetelestai, on the back of a prisoner's sentence when he had served his time and was released from prison. And Jesus is just saying, it's complete, it's enough, no more is necessary. It's a complete payment, there's complete salvation. If our works have to be added to Christ's sacrifice, folks, then when he said it is finished, he wasn't telling the truth. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You know what grace is? Grace is God doing it all. Grace is Christ doing it all. And if by, listen to Romans chapter 11, verse 6. He's talking about the difference between faith and works and grace and works. And he says, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You can't add work to grace. It destroys grace. And grace and works don't fit together the other way. It's all of God. It's all of his grace or it is not at all. When he said, I don't frustrate the grace of God, otherwise Christ is dead in vain. That word vain talks about without cause unnecessarily. When you add works, you destroy grace. Whether to be saved or to stay saved. And that makes Christ's death on the cross totally useless. If you can be saved by doing good works, by joining a church, by being baptized, by any of those things... The death of Jesus on the cross was the most foolish death there's ever been. Because here's a totally innocent man that was put to death for absolutely no reason. And yet, there are those who want to hold to the idea that they can add their vile works to his sinless sacrifice. And somehow that's going to help them stay saved or be saved. You see, at Calvary, we're going to talk about the tomb next week. But at Calvary, the price was paid, but at the tomb, the receipt was given. When Jesus came forth out of the tomb, the resurrection reveals God's acceptance of Christ's sacrifice. It proved that Jesus was who he said it was. It revealed what you and I can expect as believers. You know, one of these days, they're gonna, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, they're going to take this vile body and they're going to put it in a hole in the ground. I mean, that's, you say, that's rather plain. Well, it is, but that's what it is. But I ain't going to be in it, all right? <laughs> I'll be with the Lord. And then I can expect 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to be with him in the air. Our fear of rejection, folks, can be forgotten. This talks about our complete security. Once something has been paid for in full, it can't be reclaimed, can it? You might make a partial payment on something and then forget other payments and it be taken back. But once you pay the whole price of something, it's yours to do with as you want. It is yours completely. And that's what tetelestai means. And because it's by God's grace, we are secure. And I know we've heard this and we've heard people say this and we've heard sermons about this. We've heard preachers talk about it. Somebody will say, well, if that's the case, then I'll just get saved and live like I want to live. No, you won't not if you're truly saved. A child of God does not want to dissipate only when he gets in that rebellious nature and 
then God has to deal with him sometimes. But somebody who is truly saved wants to live for God, wants to glorify Christ, wants to come together and meet with the brothers and sisters in Christ and worship the Lord. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Our liberty is given to us that we can better serve God and that we can better serve each other. Not so we can sit back and serve ourselves and just have a big old time in life and then die and go to heaven. No, it's so we can serve God and serve one another. And here's what we have to realize, and I was taught this a long time ago, don't ever talk about security without talking about responsibility, and that responsibility is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive the things done in the body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. See, there's a day of answering. How did you use your salvation? Can you imagine? And I don't know how it will work. I'm obviously clueless like anybody else is, but can you imagine standing before the one who died for you and died for me? And he says, how did you use your salvation that I paid for? Did you ever buy something for somebody and then want them to use it in a good way and they didn't? Took advantage of what you did for them? That's what believers are doing every day of their lives in this world today. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Now I'm going to go out and live like I want to live. I'm not going to let this Bible tell me how to live. I'm not going to let the preacher tell me how to live. I'm just going to go out. I'm going to live like I want to live. I'm going to live it up because I know because you saved me when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. We need to make sure, first of all, that you repented toward God and put your faith in Christ and you're truly saved. And if you are, you need to understand that we'll give answer for our lives as children of God. The words of the third verse of the old hymn, and I think that's why I like to sing the old hymns, sum up this message. Jesus paid it all. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. How much? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. In Acts chapter 17, verse 3, Paul opened the word of God and he declared that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead. And we're going to talk about the resurrection like I say next week. But a sacrificial death was absolutely necessary if we were to be saved. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, blood has to be shed. Had to be shed. For without shedding blood is no remission. But it had to be the blood of the perfect sacrifice. The only begotten Son of God. Because it says in Hebrews 10, 4, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Only one lamb. Only the lamb. Only the precious lamb of God could die for us that we might have everlasting life. And then 
How do we repay him? You can't pay Jesus back for your salvation. I understand that. But how do we show our gratitude for his salvation? Living for him. Witnessing of him. Learning more about him. That's how we show our gratitude. Our thanks to our Lord. That he came. He took on the form of man. And became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. God raised him from the tomb and he ascended back into heaven. And I thank God he's coming back. And we ought to pray like John, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Come today.